You are listening to the Life Church Podcast. To learn more about Life Church, our gathering times at any of our central Indiana locations, or our Life Crew online, visit us at lifechurchin.com or follow the link in the description. Today's talk is from Pastor Kathy Eternell. It is a pleasure to be with you. And uh, this is a, a message that I just, I love this scripture. We have been talking about hope, haven't we? We talked about hope for your home. We talked about hope for your town. Last week, we talked about hope for all nations in relationship to our miracle offering. And today, we're going to talk about hope for your heart. We need to see just how it was when Jesus came. And we're actually going to be, there's a lot of scripture, so you got a handout today with all the scriptures, and I don't know if that's all, that we're going to be looking at, but you may not get a chance to turn, we may not get any up on the screen, but take it home and you can, you can meander over it later on, okay? Father, we just ask you to make your word, it's your word, live. Show us, Lord. What it was like when Jesus came, what was happening, what had to happen, and why this incarnation is so important. Father, I pray that your presence will be with us. God, let your peace be upon us, and let us see the beauty of who Jesus really is. In your name we pray, amen, amen. The background of this particular story of Jesus coming to this earth was there was darkness. And go to uh, Isaiah 9, verses 1 and 2, if you have your, your Bibles. If not, it says, Nevertheless, the time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled, but there will be a time in the future when the Galilee of the Gentiles, get that, the Galilee of the Gentiles, will lie along the road that, that runs between Jordan and the sea will be filled with glory. And the people who walked in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in the land of deep darkness, a light will shine. Do you know that, that this prophecy was 700 years before it actually came to be? And what it's referring to, and the great light that it's referring to, is Jesus. And what's so interesting about this, this is in the area of the Gentiles. So interesting that this Messiah was located in an area where Gentiles were. And remember what what uh, um, Nathan, uh, no, it wasn't Nathan, um, Nathaniel, that's it. What Nathaniel said, what good thing can come out of Nazareth, right? They had no idea that anything special or important could come out of this region. And yet God had made a promise. You can count on his promises, can't you? And it says that this great light is, do you know that, that this area was where Jesus first taught in the synagogue? It was in this particular area of the Gentiles. Do you know his first miracle? 
was done in these particular pieces of ground that are actually supposed to be for the Jewish people, but there were Gentiles infiltrated among all this. And they seem to be paramount in those areas. Do you know that he's in Capernaum, which was by the seacoast of the borders of Zebulun and Naphtali? This is where he started preaching about people needing to repent. Huh. And John, listen to what it says in John 1, 4 and 5. In him is life. Who? Jesus. The light was the light of men, and the light shined in the darkness, and the darkness didn't comprehend it very picture of what is being spoken of back in Isaiah. And then we come to this scripture, Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And then it goes on to say that this is a prophecy. This, too, is part of what was going to happen. Isaiah chapter 7 tells us this. All right then, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, a virgin will conceive a child. She shall give birth to a son, and they shall call him Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us, shall call him Emmanuel. And his government, verse 7 says, his government and his peace shall never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The compassionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make it happen. Who's going to make it happen? The Lord of heaven's armies. The government would be upon his shoulders. You know, that was going to be a unique situation because when we think about the government, the government upholds a ruler, okay? The, the Constitution upholds a ruler. The armies uphold their ruler. But what's going to be different about this? Nobody's going to uphold him. All of government, everything will be on his shoulders. Isn't he fantastic? <laughs> and he shall be called. A name so apparable to him, he shall be called Emmanuel. God, God with us. I just wonder, this, this word we call the incarnation, which means that God became flesh and dwelt among us. God became flesh. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about what it must have been like for God to leave heaven or the Son of God and take up residence within a woman, within a womb? There's an old song that says, out of the ivory palaces into a world of woe. Only his great eternal love made my Savior go. What love. 
Do you ever look at John 3.16 in, in the way of the incarnation and think about the aspect that, what's it say? That he gave, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You know, it's not just talking about the factor he's going to die. It's the factor that he gave him in the flesh to us because that was absolutely essential. So why did he come? Why was this important? What was to reveal to us who he is? Who he is and what God is like. John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 say, In the beginning was the word. You can almost repeat some of these with me. Do it. And the word was God. And the word, and the word was God. He was with God. He was God. He was in the beginning. He was in the beginning. The word became flesh, it tells us in verse 14, and dwelt among us. And he saw his glory, we saw his glory, glory as the only begotten of the Father, listen to this, full of grace and truth. What's so remarkable? That God would take up flesh. That he would care enough to come and take up flesh and everything that it was going to encompass. I love the Christmas carols. Some of them are terrible, though. The theology's horrible. We love them, though, don't we? <laughs> we, we sang this morning, and, and I, I love this song, the first Noel. And what does it say? It came to certain poor shepherds in fields where they lay, in fields where they kept, it was winter, and they kept their sheep where it was deep. They don't have snow. <laughs> you know, but that's okay. It came from someone that that was the picture they put themselves in, right? So I love the carols. There's another carol that always blows my mind, and when we sing it, Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. Let me tell you, when is there ever a silent night at the birth of a baby? <laughs> it's not silent. In fact, I think last week or last year we talked about a not-so-silent night. That was certainly not such a silent night. Even in this, this particular carol that I really, really love, and that's that's the one about Hark the Herald Angels Sing. It doesn't say they sang. It says they said. Okay? But we love that. We love the song. But the rest of his theology is pretty good. Okay? And this was written by, by uh, Charles Wesley, who was John Wesley's brother. And, I mean, it's, it's dynamic. Listen to what it says. Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ, the everlasting Lord. Late in time. What do you mean, late in time? Well, he didn't come at a time right after the prophecies were spoken, was it? Actually, we're going to go back and see that, that one of the first times that the gospel is really preached or talked about is in Genesis 3.15. 
lot of years passed, late in time, but at the right time. Has God ever failed to do anything but at the right time? And so things were prepared to make it the best for the propagation of the gospel at that particular time when he came. Late in time, behold, he comes, offspring of a virgin's womb. What? A virgin. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail, the incarnate deity, pleased with us in flesh to dwell. Pleased with us. He wanted to do this. He longed to be with us. He longed to make a way for us to be right with him. Pleased in flesh, even though all the things that were going to come would be devastating to that flesh. Jesus, our Emmanuel. Can you imagine how wonderful all of this is? When you think about God becoming man, it almost takes your breath away. God in a womb. Born, grew, slept, was weary, hungry, wept, and he died. I love that song, Mary, Did You Know? And especially the portion where it says, when you kissed that child, you kissed the face of God. I don't know about you, but that takes my breath away. <laughs> what, was that, what was that like when she really knew how that child came to be? And she kissed the face of God. He is the wonderful, the counselor, and it's put together, the wonderful counselor. Now, if you go into the book of Proverbs, when you go to the eighth chapter, it talks about wisdom. But it talks about wisdom with the word I. And it's literally talking about the Son of God, who was there in the beginning, and everything in that chapter speaks about who he is. So as God, he was wisdom from the beginning. But then let's look at him in relationship to his earthly counseling. And the scripture tells us in Matthew that people were astounded at his teaching. Never spoke a man like him. They, they questioned, where did he ever get this knowledge? He didn't even attend our schools. <laughs> a counselor is one who guides. It's someone who's approachable. It's someone who meets us in those places where we are. But no human counselor can do what Jesus did. Because of him, he has had the power to change us. Because of him, he has the, uh, the ability to empower us to live this life. 
He does a changing inside of us that no counselor could ever accomplish. He is the mighty God. Psalm 45, 6 says, Your throne, O God, endures forever and ever. You rule with the scepter of justice. You love justice and you hate evil. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you, pouring out the oil of joy on you more than any other. And it is a prophecy in relationship to Jesus. He was going to have, he was going to have this throne. He is God, the mighty God. And there was a joy he was going to have that no one else would ever have. And the scripture goes on to tell us that for the joy that was set before him, he did what? He endured the cross. Why? So they could have us. So that he could have us. Unto us, this child is born. It's for us. God gave us a gift. (laughs) He is the everlasting father. He is our creator. He is our preserver. He is, he is that which is a protector of mankind. Well, what do you mean? Well, let's look at the scripture. Let's let it tell us what, it, what he is. And in John 1, 3, it says, All things, all things were made by him. Who? Jesus, the Son of God. And without him was not anything made that was made. We associate with God, the Father being the creator, but here it tells us that Jesus was essential in that creation. In Colossians chapter 1 and verses 15 and 17, it says, Christ is the invisible image of an invisible God. He came to show us what God was like. He came to this earth so that as we live in this earth and we operate in this human body, he came to show us that as he did it, and he didn't do it because he was God, not in this human body. He did it empowered by the Holy Ghost. He says, as a father has sent me, so I send you. Receive the Holy Spirit. He existed before anything was created, it tells us here in Colossians, and is supreme above all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things that we see and the things we can't see, such as thrones and dominions and principalities and and powers of the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else. And he holds all creation together. He holds it together. If he is to pull his hand back, there's going to be awful chaos. He is the everlasting. He is eternal. He has been from the beginning. There's no scales of time that limit him in any way, nor is there any morality that limits him in any way. He is the fullness of everything that God would have for us to be. 
And Hebrews 12 tells us beautiful words. Keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Where do our eyes have to be focused? The old song says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. How could this happen? Well, let's look. The second thing that is is true here in relationship to why he came, he came to destroy the works of the devil. And we're going to see a little bit about that. Listen to the song again that, that Charles Wesley wrote. Come, desire of nations come. Fix in us your humble home. Rise the woman's conquering seed. Bruise in us the serpent's head. Adam's likeness. We possess it, don't we? Now we face. Wrap thine image in its place. Second Adam from above. Reinstate us in your love. What happened? Do you know that that Jesus, it says that, that she came, that, that a virgin conceived a child. And the thing that's so interesting about this, you know, womanhood has gotten a bad problem ever since the, ever since the garden, right? It's all our fault. Right? The buck has been passed. It's all our fault. And Do you know that Christianity is the only religion that really gives woman value? Because God did. It didn't say the seed of a man. I think God knew that Adam was going to give Eve a hard time. And sin came into this world because of one man. That's what the scripture says. God in his mercy toward womanhood said a virgin will conceive. One who has nothing to do with a man producing that child, only God. And would lift her position to that of value. You know, when you look at some of the religions of the world today and see where women are, and I'm not, I'm not a, a women's liber by any means. But when we see what God did, he put it all the way back in Genesis. This is considered the proto-evangelum, or the good news that was first seen. The first gospel was preached here. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, Cursed are you above all. And then it goes down in verse 15. It says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head. But you'll strike his heel. How did God, did he, was he taken by surprise? By anything that man would do? No. It says that 
Christ was slain from the foundations of the world. Not that he made man do this, but he gave us a free will. And because he gave us that free will, he knew. (laughs) Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And 1 John 3, 8 and 9 says, and when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil who has been sinning since the beginning. But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. And what are those works? He is the accuser of the brethren, right? He comes with accusations against us. He comes with deception. He comes just to do everything in his power. God has prepared a way for the power of the enemy against us to be broken. He had to come for that purpose. And then the third reason he came is he appears in order to take away sin. And that's in the book of Hebrews that tells us that. And 1 John chapter 3 and verse 5 tells us that. It says, and now at once, at the consummation of the age, he has been manifest. To what? To put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. We who are children of God don't need to sin. There is power by his Holy Spirit to keep us from sinning, right? But if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 and 18 says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ, has become a new person. The old life is gone, the new life has begun, and listen to this, 18th verse, and all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. The songwriter goes on to say, Hail, this heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of of righteousness. And you know, that word son there is S-U-N. Now, I'm old enough to remember when you used to wash clothes and you hung them on a line outside. And I'll tell you what, nothing was more wonderful than sheets hung out on a line. (laughs) The smell. It there was the the rays of the sun had an effect on those things and it cleansed and it purified. When there was a, a failure in mankind, they were told to be, you know, out in the sun. There was a purifying effect for the day before so that their their uh, failure or their uncleanness might be gone. It says the sun of righteousness shall rise. And that sun of righteousness, his name is Jesus. And there's healing in his wings, the scripture says, or healing in his rays, healing in his presence. He has come, this sun of righteousness, to our hearts and to our lives to bring us hope. Light and life to all he brings, risen 
with healing in his wings. Mild he laid his glory by. We call this the kenosis. He laid aside all of his godly attributes and he chose to limit himself to what you and I are, except we have a sinful nature and he lived without sin. Why? So that he could be that lamb of God. None of us can make ourselves right with God. None of us could pay the price, but he came to do that. Born that men no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth and born to give them second birth. (laughs) We've been born again because he became flesh to destroy the works of the devil and to deal with the sin nature inside of us. He is also come for the purpose of his advent is to give hope for our future by his second coming. He's coming again. If we look at some of these songs, we sing joy to the world, the Lord is come. Do you know that song was never written to be a Christmas song? It actually was written as a song to proclaim the second coming of the Lord. He rules the world with peace, right? That's not here. It's not here yet. It's dealing with the time of his second coming. He is the prince of peace. And isn't it interesting that when we find those, that aspect of peace and the prince or the king of, pre, of peace, we find it way back in Genesis 2? And what was it about? It was when Melchizedek came on the scene, the king of righteousness, the king of peace. And we know that that particular man had neither beginning of days nor end of life, but he was made like unto the Son of God, and Jesus became a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Well, that was the appearance of our Lord in the Old Testament. How was he coming as peace? Do you know that's God's intent for everybody? is peace. That's what he wants. We put man in the garden so that we would have this beautiful atmosphere to live in, in peace. But we choose to walk our own way and do our own thing. No wonder we don't have peace. True joy only happens when there's peace. We see in Numbers chapter 6 and verse 24, with the priestly blessing, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. The Lord is to lift up his countenance upon us and to give us peace. Peace is God's intent. It's what he wants. But peace has with it wholeness, completeness. It has with it the security of our well-being. This son is the Prince of Peace. The book of Isaiah that talks so much about him has, it's a book of war and it's a book of peace. In the book of Isaiah, it tells us that in uh, chapter two and verse 12, that the Lord of hosts of heaven's army 
has a day of reckoning. And he will punish the proud and the mighty, and he will bring down everything that is exalted. Why? It tells us in Isaiah 3.18, because they speak out against the Lord and refuse to obey him, they provoke him to his face. Is there ever a day that that's more true than our own? They will not obey him. They provoke him to his face. There's a state of war in this world today because we've been broken by sin. But what's going to happen? One day the Prince of Peace is going to step in and he's going to write these things. In the book of Isaiah, in chapter 7 and 9 and 53 and, and 63 through 66, it says that in the midst of man's war against God, when there was no desire on his part for reconciliation, God sent someone. The gift of God, the Prince of Peace. The message of Christmas is he is shalom. He is peace. What, does this, what did he say to the, or they say to the shepherds? I bring you good news that brings great joy to all people. A savior, yes, a Messiah has been born. Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth. And I want you to see, we talk about men of goodwill. Let me tell you what another translation says to those with whom God is pleased. Where does peace come? To those with whom God is pleased. So it goes on to say in Romans, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have that wholeness. We have completeness because of him. In the book of Revelation 21, it tells us that he's going to come and he's going to dwell with us. He's going to live with us on this earth. And it says that all grief and all the trauma that has been a part of our life, he's going to wipe away the tears from our eyes. And it tells us that all the anguish that we have, will be, everything will be made new because he is the alpha and the omega, the beginning, the end. His government, again, it says, will be peace that will not end. We know that's not now, but we know that's what he's promised. I will be to them a God, he says, and they will be my son. We are adopted. Do you know what that means? We have been taken into this family, not because of what, born into it. We're not born into this. Because of what Jesus did, we're adopted. And you know, there's something special about an adopted child. They've been chosen. He will appear, the scripture tells us in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 26. He will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. The peacefulness of the, of the messianic kingdom will come. That joy to the world will come. 
So the four purposes of his advent, he comes to reveal who, who God is, who he is. He comes to defeat and destroy the works of the devil. He comes to, to take away or bear away our sin. And he comes to give us hope. That there's something coming so fantastic that we can't even begin to comprehend it. I found a statement, and I loved this this past week. His first cry tore the silence. There had been silence for 400 years, but his first cry tore that silence. His second cry that came from the cross, it is finished, tore the veil and gave us opportunity to come into the presence of God without any hindrance. But his final cry is going to tear the skies. He's coming. We will find the spiritual wholeness and peace that we long for. We have a measure of it now. But this Son of God, as he was manifest, he came in his weakest state as a baby to show us how to live, to grow up in this life, his weakest state. He was in his weakest state when he held on the, when he was nailed to a cross. Look at him. He was in his weakest state when he was in the tomb, a place of hopelessness. But unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And who is he? There is a, a song that I, I loved. It's an old song. It says, one day when heaven was filled with his glory, one day when sin was as black as could be, Jesus came forth to be born of a virgin, dwelt among men. My example is he. Listen to these words. Living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. Buried, he carried my sin far away. Rising, he justified. What's that mean? He made me just as if I've never sinned. Freed me forever. And one day he's coming. Oh, glorious day. We will see him in all that he is victorious one day. Things have hindered here, but it's going to end. And yet in us, those of us who look for his coming, (laughs) he brings peace. He brings completeness. He brings what we need to face the challenges that come our way. And he's here today to meet us. Whatever we're dealing with, whatever pains and struggles we have, he is the Prince of Peace. He is the Almighty God. He's the one who's able. He's the one that's here for eternity to take care of us and to ever make intercession for us. He's here. And all we have to do is ask.
If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us, share with a friend, and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. Our mission is simple. Come to life, connect to grow, find your purpose, make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.